politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I think we're all familiar with GoFundMe pages. It's where people who are going through horrible things, whether it's illnesses, they've lost their jobs, they've had a fire in their home. A sick dog. Yeah, someone's struggling to pay their bills. It's where people go to help people. Exactly. Today, we're going to take a look at how scammers take advantage of this. Yeah, according to the FTC, charity, fraud, and uh, scams are consistently one of the most common types reported. So in 2020 alone, that was over $50 million that were reported to them. Yeah, $54 million. It's important to note that these figures only represent reported cases, too. The actual number of scams, it's probably a lot higher. Most people don't want to report when they've been, when they've been duped. The shame factor. And that's why today we're talking with the host of a new podcast called Scamanda, Charlie Webster, who's an award-winning journalist, producer, and podcaster about ways that we might be able to avoid becoming victims of charity scams. Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. Charlie Webster, welcome to our show, and we're thrilled to have you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So, you're an award-winning journalist. you covered a wide variety of subjects. Is there any through line to all of the things you cover? I'm so interested in human behavior. I think that's what I find so fascinating about storytelling. And maybe getting people to think about something a little bit differently than they would before, but without kind of shoving it down their throat. Through basically individual emotional storytelling. So I think that's probably my through line. And whether that's like so this, the podcast that I've just made, um, Scamander, which I think is fascinating because of the psychology around that. Can you tell us a bit more about that? We've just launched and I was trying to be a little bit clever with the name because it's about a woman called Amanda. So Scamander. She lived in San Jose in a local community. And in 2012, she started a blog. And the blog was to start talking about her journey because she got diagnosed with cancer. There are so many twists and turns throughout the show. It's kind of mind-boggling. And I've spent so long making this show and diving into the story and you know I went up to San Jose I, I built a relationship with her and 
I still listen to the episodes and I still get flabbergasted by what she's done. And I know the story. And not that I want to spoil it, but you can imagine a little bit from the title. Um, turns out she never had cancer. How did you first find out about her story? Without making it complicated, there's an investigative producer called Nancy, and she's a true crime veteran. And she was given a tip just from somebody who said, look, Anonymous, um, there's a woman in my community who I think is taking advantage and manipulating a lot of people. And she says she's got cancer and she's creating a blog. And, and this blog, you know, reaches hundreds of thousands of people. So it wasn't just in her community. She was influencing and inspiring people that had either survived cancer or were struggling with cancer, whether it was themselves or through a family member, which I know that, you know, the majority of us have been touched by in some way or another. And she was kind of putting that out there, but also infiltrating a church and a family. And so this anonymous woman was like, you know, I feel like she's lying and she's taking advantage of me and she's doing it to hundreds and hundreds of people. So Nancy started to look into it and started to read Amanda's blogs. And she was like, oh my God, like, oh, this poor woman. She's, you know, only in her, at the time she was in her 20s, she's got cancer, she's doing all these things. Like, why are people, why would somebody say she's lying? Like, she's posting pictures of her in hospital. She's doing fundraising rallies, like all these things. But a few things didn't quite add up. And then Nancy started to put some pieces of the puzzle together. But then Amanda found out. And then, it, you know, as the heat was turned on Amanda, Amanda turned the heat up even more and, and pushed what she was saying in her narrative forward even more and then ended up going after Nancy. And then Nancy came to me and that's how I found about the story and said, can you... Can you work with me on this? Charlie, when Nancy first came to you with Amanda's story about this whole scam thing, what did you think? I'm so glad you asked that question because I didn't actually know. So when I first started to look into her, I then did my own digging. And, you know, I'm a journalist, so I kind of went and spoke to a few people and did my own separate digging away from Nancy. And then I came back to Nancy and I was like, are you sure? Are you really sure? Because at the time, I knew the police were looking into her, but nobody knew she wasn't convicted. Never mind convicted. People still didn't know whether she had or she hadn't. Was she lying about cancer and scamming money? Or was she, was there kind of something else in this tale? Because then when the police actually started to investigate her, she said, oh, well, they're only looking into me. And the IRS started to look into her because she said because she didn't realize that she had to pay tax on the donation. So that was her narrative. So initially, I didn't know the extent of her story. So Amanda wasn't sure you were a friend or not a friend. Did she know that you were a reporter, for instance? Or how did you approach it with her? I just said, I'm a journalist. That I heard about what's going on with you and people are, you know, there's obviously this conversation and I've had, spoke to a few people. 
So I just wanted to let you know who I am. That's how I initially did it. Now, when you went there, were you settled in your mind as to whether she was guilty? No. How did Amanda, as far as you know, uh, view you? Did she think of you as a potential ally? Or, I mean, I would imagine also potentially someone she could manipulate to get her way. Both, I think. I kind of gave you the short answer is no, because I felt there was potentially more to the story. Like, was there coercion involved? Why was she doing it? Was it was it attention? Was it, really, was it about money? Because again, going back to Adam, your original question to me about the through line, there's always so much more underneath the story. And I never just look at a story from a surface level. I go under and then I go under again and I go under again because we're complex people. And so I always think, what's the motivation of somebody of somebody doing this? Because I ultimately don't think, it's just my own belief, that that we're all that there's an evilness, right? I don't really believe that. I feel like there's other people involved, manipulation, coercion, maybe, I don't know, or reasons why we do things that might seem bad, but maybe don't always have the intention of being bad in the first place. So to go to your question, Bo, she, I think she thought I was potentially somebody she could manipulate and could be an ally. But I genuinely was like, you know, I'm an independent journalist. I have nothing to do with Nancy. You know, I'm here if you want to tell me your truth, but I am speaking to all these people. And I think the fact that I was honest from the beginning, if she's listening to it, is genuine. Like, I, I genuinely wanted to find out what the truth was about this. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing and I need to make split second financial decisions. And that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks and I trade options and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash 
Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash ADAM. When did Amanda actually start the blog? Amanda started her blog in 2012, which if you think about it was, well, TikTok didn't exist. I'm trying to think. Instagram really, I think it only just started. I remember I was mainly on Twitter, but blog, like blog spots or blogs was the thing, wasn't it? And I think that was the early day influences. And they kind of set a precedent for what we're in now. And even then it was like, oh, how do you even set up a website? Whereas now anybody can do it. So I think the fact that if you had a blog with, you know, pictures, it wasn't just writing and and we're talking in such an intimate way about your life I think it just gives that legitimacy because oh you've got got your own website and you've got your own professional blog so why would you believe it it just gives automatic credibility so she started her blog in 2012 and that was when she said she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma Amanda even called her first blog what the heck is Hodgkin's lymphoma and then she got. She said she was diagnosed, and that's why she started the blog because she was diagnosed for the first time with cancer, and she was documenting her journey, and it was inspiring. Like I was reading the blogs, it, 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 it you know, it was inspiring and informational and educational. Yeah. But then I found out that two years previous, she'd also been diagnosed for the first time. Now, did she have? Was she? Did she have any memory problems? Or yeah. maybe no. that was the problem all along. Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. And she's um, very young, so I wouldn't have thought so. No. How did she announce the first diagnosis? Was that also on a blog, or was that a completely different? No. So she started her blog in 2012, but then told a close friend of hers in 2010 that she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Do you think that was kind of a dress rehearsal? Sort of, let's test this out and see if that works. Yeah, I mean, I have a few theories of why that came about. I don't want to give too much away, but I've also found out there was more even before what I originally found out happened in 2010. So I think this had been going on for quite a while in different communities and capacities. Maybe it was a dry run. I think maybe it was like a to see what would happen. And then she got attention, right? And so maybe that became quite addictive. Um, without getting too much into the weeds, the night before she told her friend, her friend had invited her to somebody's fundraiser who had cancer. And the next day she said, oh, I have cancer. Charlie, what made you decide to make the podcast? I always look at the story itself. Like, is the does the does the story intrigue me? Is it something that I feel will be entertaining, compelling, engaging, but also the overarching meaning of this is this is what people can do. So, is that a bit of awareness that I can raise with within this, whatever story I'm? telling or can it have some kind of impact 
I wanted to understand like why somebody would do this and how somebody would do this. And I think when it starts to make me ask all those questions and I started to go down a rabbit hole, I thought it would make a fascinating show. You mentioned that she was keeping the scam running for 10 years. How much money did she raise total? Well, she got convicted for wire fraud. And I caveat what I'm about to say with that, because that came to about $105,000. And again, to put that into perspective, that, that's a lot of money for the majority of people. Um, and she was, that was a lot of people that donated to her and people that, you know, somebody didn't even have enough money to give her. So they donated their blood, their plasma to her. People where $50 was so much to them, but they really wanted to give to help this woman. But she also took a lot more money, Travis. So it wasn't just the 105,000. That was only what they could document through wire fraud. She took a lot of cash. I mean, I've got pictures of her stood on stage in a mega church with people throwing cash at her. So people donated cash, check in-kind services. People gave food. One woman let her have a nutrition monthly subscription, which she just used all the time. People babysat, people did fundraisers for her. If you add it all together, it was a lot more than that. And I think for me, the money's almost secondary because everybody I spoke to and when I spent time in that community, it was about the violation of what, of what she'd done and the hurt and the abuse of trust. I got pretty angry about it as I you know, learned more and more about the story. And it, it, it really elicited a reaction from me. And my sister passed away from cancer. And my wife's father also, at, at age 49, my sister was 47. Her father had a brain tumor and died from cancer. So it was tough. I got real angry. And I had the feeling that even though one has to uh, have not indifference per se, but be emotionally neutral when you're covering a story like this. I got the feeling that that wasn't the case here too. Thanks for sharing that, Adam, because I think that, I think you're right. I think when I started to dig into it, I think I was just like, why would somebody do this? And how could you do this? And I think, I mean, I'm fascinated in psychology and it's like, is there some kind of disassociation, some kind of trauma? And the fact that I'm sure so many of your listeners, you know, will have an experience like yourself, Adam. And I suppose, you know what, I'm really glad you talked about that because I don't want it to come across that I'm making light of it either because you kind of get rolled in and, and it's fascinating. And as we're speaking, there's more episodes to come out. The public haven't heard yet. But at the same time, there is this underlying importance of the story of what, what somebody's done and what people do that it's important to raise awareness of. I kept thinking back to somebody I knew from college who passed away from cancer a few years ago. And we were in the middle of a very serious feud because we had once been good friends, we're both creative types and hotheads, and we just were in a feud when it turned out that he had cancer. And um, the feud ended when I donated some money to his GoFundMe because he really needed money. And I still was pissed at him. But, uh, you know, the fact is, that's a serious thing, and it overrode anything else that was going on. And that's why I think this Amanda is a sociopath, 
because you have to dissociate. You have to completely not care and have zero empathy and use, it's like pushing the n nuclear option on human emotions. I honestly really believe that she believes her own lies. I'm not saying she's narcissist, but that narcissistic behavior where the only way you deal with what you're doing is by disassociate or blame somebody else because you can't actually face what you're doing. So you believe your own self and then blame everyone else, which is what I think, you know, that she's doing. And you know what? I feel awful as well because, you know, you said about your college friend and it made me think of, I did a GoFundMe page for a friend, for my friends who passed away in January this year. And while I was doing it, I was just finishing making Scamander and I was thinking, I, you know, am I, are we creating something where we are losing faith in people? You know, because I wanted people to donate to the GoFundMe page that I set up for my friend to help her family. I, I wanted people to help and support her family and there was so much pain and I'm sure, you know, Adam, you were talking about your own family and Bo about your college friend and you don't want people to question genuine people and not help because I think that's really important. And then you look at what these people are doing and it makes you, you know, one of the things that when I was talking to the detective and he was like, you know, people should question this. And I'm like, well, well, should they though? Because I don't want to live in a world where if I need people's help, but they question whether they believe me or not. So in your reporting, you talk about Amanda taking advantage of generosity. What were some of the tactics that she actually was using? So firstly, we mentioned the blog, you know, people believe what's in front of them and what people put out. No matter how logical we are, we still believe it. And so she infiltrated that from an, you know, from the early age of social influencing. Um, because why would you question somebody who's writing about their intimate raw and quite, you know, quite frankly, painful experience? Like, she didn't just go, oh, I went to the doctors today. It was like, you know, I've been I've been sick today. I'm really struggling. I'm mentally struggling with this. Like, you know, when you start to relate to somebody because you see yourself in, in that, right? Because maybe you're going through something yourself. So I think that's like number one manipulation tactic, right? Is prey on your own people's own emotions or connection to that story. You know, she, she shaved her head. She showed pictures of her in hospital, pictures with her and her family, you know, her two kids. I mean, when she first started the blog, she got pregnant. And so she shared pictures of her pregnancy and, and said that, you know, oh no, I've got pregnant and I've got stage four cancer. What am I going to do? And she just, she just pulls you in. Honestly, if you read the blogs, even though I know the outcome, I still get pulled in by them. She was so genuine. I've met her. She's very polite and charming. So I think that's another thing. Again, we, when we think of people doing bad things, we go into that old-fashioned perception that they're, you know, you can see in a mile off that stranger down the alleyway is horrible and he's going to do this thing to you. But actually, like, she's cute. She's, she's kind. She's very engaging. So I think you, you get hooked into that. Um, she went to a church and she started to, you know, she went to a mega church. So that's thousands of people that she could access. And, you know, by the end of that, people were calling her the anointed one because she would stand on stage and she would use people's faith and their prayers 
and their kindness and want to help to be able to get to people. So, you know, she was stood on stage preaching and using the word to manipulate um, people. Demonstrating their power in the process. Yeah. Which made yeah. them buy in even more. Yeah, absolutely. Because she was healing, right? right. She was in her mission. And they were doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. So, you know, Travis, you asked about the money. Mm -hmm. How much more than just the money? Because she went to clinical trials and, and through cancer charities got free housing and people paid for flights for her. And, you know, they, they managed to claim on bankruptcy, not pay child custody, all these things. It wasn't just a GoFundMe page. Was it social engineering or a classic con? Like, what was going on there? I don't think it's as straightforward as that. I don't think she set out, and I might be totally wrong and off the mark, but I don't think she sat there and went, right, this is how I'm going to do this. I honestly don't. I think it rolled away with itself. And and she was getting attention. So I, I think there's probably elements of that, but but not entirely, no. What finally took her down? How did she get caught in the end? Oh, gosh. Well, her own words. I mean, she could have stopped when people started to look in. Well, Nancy actually originally started to look into her. Then she could have stopped when the local police were like, okay, something's not right here. Let me look into it. And they actually spoke to her and she could have stopped them, but she didn't. She turned it on more, which I find really interesting because there's at least five points where she could have got away with it. That I'm like, okay, if she just stepped back then, she wouldn't be serving time, which she is now. So how she got caught in the end was because she was documenting things, it's just a matter of time before you make one mistake, right? And all it was was a very simple hospital name. And you'll you'll be able to hear it it's in the latter episodes because we then reveal the, the turning points. Because, again, they suspected her but they couldn't find evidence. You know, so it's not, it's not technically illegal to lie, right? You know, you can lie and I could say what I want to you and I could, it's not illegal. I'm no, not. we have a congressman right now who's uh, gotten elected <laughs> that way. <laughs> so, well, that gets to my point. It's not, unfortunately, illegal to lie. And the bar is high, right? To go through the justice system, there has to be tangible evidence. Um, but... She slipped up with a hospital name. Wow. Let me ask you a question. I know maybe I'm not supposed to do this because it's not my podcast. But um, what? Do, what? Why do you think scam is scam? Do you think it is about money? There's all kinds. I mean, your your scammer, Amanda. I think. Uh, it's complicated. There are the state-sponsored people who scam. There are the for-profit people who scam. They're the cause-related scammers. And then they're just the, because I can scammers. I want to prove I can do something no one else did. So there are all kinds of motivations when it comes to, to scams. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with 
electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance an electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com Okay, you know, what struck me about Scamanda and, and Charlie's work on that, on that story is just how easy it is to fall victim to uh, these GoFundMe scams. I, I don't know if I know how to avoid one. Uh, Adam, how are you feeling now? Look, the problem with stories like these is they pull on your heartstrings. And you respond, and you respond from emotion, not from thought. So as a result, you do things maybe you wouldn't have done if you took a few minutes to really think about it. Yeah, definitely. And you can t- feel like a real jerk if you're approaching anyone's uh, really tragic story, especially when it involves cancer or anything and that magnitude, by being skeptical about it. But you need to be skeptical. You don't have to necessarily be skeptical to that person but i do think Mm -hmm. that it's there's ways to find out and one of them is if you see other people who have given to that particular campaign you can ask them like oh how's sally doing or amanda in this case when i go to a gofundme page oftentimes i look to see who else contributed because maybe i know it's the easiest way to know if uh if 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 it's legit you know because you can ask them do they know this person Sometimes if people are uh, setting something up for to collect donations, they'll also do it through like their local church and uh, or communities. That means uh, local news outlets will pick that up as a story. And so in that case, you can sometimes verify a campaign or someone's story through that. And even after you've vetted whether or not it's legitimate, it's still a really good idea not to give away personal information about yourself. Maybe if it's not a bad idea to give anonymously. Yeah, it's about the person who's uh, struggling. It's not about you. So you shouldn't even have to share anything at all about yourself. And that way, if it is a scam, they want to have more information about you that you wish they didn't. Yeah. And I mean, if let's say you're on it, you're thinking about giving money to a fundraiser that's not on GoFundMe or a charity, you definitely need to do your homework. And, um, you know, but Adam, the thing that I think about more than anything is I'm mindful of the, um, the emotional prompt, right? And Travis, you'll remember this, this, this one from back in the day when somebody said, if we don't raise $20,000 within, by the end of the day, Toby gets it. We're going right. to cook them. And Toby was a cute little bunny rabbit sitting on a frying pan. I mean, th- so there's like this, this emotional kick they're going for. Well, that's a tough one. And especially when you have a situation like the story we've just heard. Many organizations that people look up to got involved in this. So it was like they were proselytizing for the scammer unknowingly. And that yeah. makes it even more difficult to be able to determine, is it legitimate or not? Because people you look up to are saying, yes, please help. 
we did. As these micro donation sites proliferate, you know, that is for sure a thing where you're like, well, Adam gave him money. Well, um, that's that's good to me. It's good enough for me. I'm going to give money. Yeah, and it's easier to pull off a scam of this kind if you're doing that on an individual basis and relying on micro donations. There are charities out there and there are nonprofit organizations that do offer assistance to people with cancer and other illnesses or uh, other hardships. And if you donate money to that, you can do a lot more research and make sure your money is going to the right place, even if it's a small amount. But usually those organizations don't run GoFundMe pages. So, you know, that's the rub here is that, yes, you can go to Charity Navigator. You can look up charities and see how legitimate they are and how they spend their money and how they help. But when you're dealing with an individual GoFundMe page, how do you really know? That's the problem. One way to be able to identify them relatively quickly is through reverse image search on Google. A lot of these scam groups will just take people's photos off of their social media profiles and then put that up on a GoFundMe page with a accompanying sob story. Um, so if you just look up the image on there and see if it's been if it's anywhere else online, that's a pretty immediate red flag. I just think that you're a little over faithful in reverse image uh, searches. I I've I've tested it. I tested it on myself, Adam, Guinevere, who's well known, mm -hmm. and the images that popped up over and over again were the ones that Getty images had from parties and the such, or had been major campaigns. Like they knew who Guinevere was, but they didn't know who I was in those pictures where I was with her, mm -hmm. even though that had been a Banana Republic campaign. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not foolproof, but in a lot of cases, these scammers will take the same picture and use it a whole bunch of times. It's just one more thing you can do to uh, get a little bit more background or research. No, also, my picture tends to be confused with Pierce Brosnan's a lot, so, you know, I, I can see it. Wow, that was sad. That made me feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that I wanted to bring up here is we see a lot of just the other day... My friend Jenny Olson, who works for GLAAD out in San Francisco, had a spoof account uh, launched on Instagram, and she, I saw it immediately. They friended me, and immediately she had up on her Instagram, there's a fake account, someone's pretending to be me, please report them. I hit report on Instagram system for reporting, and you guys will be shocked. It was gone in 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, and that's why it's super important. If you see something, say something. Right. I mean, that's it. Yeah, if you see something suspicious, report it. You can do that on GoFundMe as well. Yep. At the end of the day, it is all of our jobs to keep each other safe. Anyway, Charlie, we cannot thank you enough. I speak for all of us to say we can't wait to hear the rest of the episodes because it it's an absolutely incredible story. So if our listeners want to hear Scamanda, where do they find it? Just wherever you listen to your podcast. So it's on Apple, Spotify, anywhere. And you can even just type Scamanda, um, which is spelled S-C-A-M-A-N-D-A. And it will just come up. So wherever you listen to your podcast. And then um, we're currently, as I speak to you, number one. Um, so it should just come up on your phone when you look. Phenomenal. Not to be confused with Newt Scamander from God. the Harry Potter. <laughs> That's what I kept on thinking. <laughs> That's why I spelled it, because initially it was really messing with the search engine because it's a Harry Potter character. And and uh, it did remind me of that because I remember speaking to one of my best friends about the name and she was like, do you mean that of Harry Potter? And I was like, no, 
<laughs> the whole time we've been talking about it, I've been thinking, like, is there a suitcase? And is it filled with little animals? And now it's time for our tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. I have to admit, I've been in a pretty foul mood this week. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't notice. Nor I. What's up? Well, you know, it's usual. I'm having work done on my house and a million other things. That's not fun at all, my friend. No, it's not. You know, it breaks to mind how summertime is actually often when the home improvement scams uh, pick up. Without question. Once the weather gets nice, you got folks knocking on your door offering to fix up your house at a price you wouldn't believe. Yeah, and a lot of the time they say they have a bunch of leftover materials from another project that they just need to use, so they'll give you a really great deal. Well, that is often true, Travis. Regardless, it's important when you're looking for a good contractor to make sure you have one. And that means you gotta do a ton of homework. Um, Because it is possible that you put your money in someone's pocket and that is all that happens. No work gets done. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a fantasy element here. I mean, I just moved. There are a million little tiny things in my house that need to get fixed. And um, it would be amazing to have someone just sort of show up on my doorstep saying that he would fix all of them for an unreasonably low price. But that's just not going to happen. Well, and the important part is you got to do your homework. Do not underestimate that. And do not, under any circumstances, enter a business relationship with anybody that just shows up at your door or sends you an email. You got to check a contractor to make sure that they're big or they're small. Are they licensed? Are they bonded? Many states have that requirement. And what information is out there and what are their reviews? Yeah, you know, I think that the other thing that you can do is make some phone calls. You actually need to check references and you need to speak to someone who's had a recent experience with that contractor. It's okay to pay money up front if you are sure that people in your community know this company or contractor and they're trustworthy. But if you're not quite sure, you know, obviously you you have to take some, some precautions. I mean, look, if a contractor is standing there at your doorstep pressing you to sign a contract right away, run. You need to take time. You need to get different bids. And you just have to think. You can't just rush into this stuff because you could end up throwing your money away. Definitely. And the same goes with taking out a loan for financing any kind of repairs you're getting done on your house. Scammers love to work in teams. You can go through your own bank or credit union. You can apply for financing through a third party that is not related in any way to your contractor. That way you are kind of avoiding the possibility that you're dealing with a team of scammers instead of a single scammer. Well, the other thing too is, you know, you don't want to deal with a guy who's getting you money from a guy that is a guy. (laughs) No, if there's a lot of guys in the sentence, you probably want to be a little bit careful, right? And that's our New Jersey lesson for the day. (laughs) (laughs) And also that's our tinfoil swan. If you're a victim of a GoFundMe scam, reach out to us. Let's talk about it. We'd love to have you on the show. And it doesn't have to be just a GoFundMe scam. I mean, it can be any kind of scam that you've experienced. We'd love to have you join us on the show because you can actually help a lot of people here. And that's what really we're all about. Because not only is scaring caring, 
sharing is caring. So if you have a good story, you can get in touch with us through Facebook, Instagram, or you can just go to adamlevin.com and hit the contact us button. It's right on the front page. What the Heck with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.